you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sound, but of mind. A journey into a podcast whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, 10 to 1, episode 91. Top 10 Twilight Zone episodes. Welcome to 10 to 1, the podcast where we make top 10 lists about everything. I'm Melissa Kozer. And I'm Brian Kozer. We're finally doing this episode... We've been talking about it for probably a year or two. Been yes. about it for a while. Yes, and we've certainly been talking about it for a while on this podcast, <laughs> but I will say I hope that it will be worth your while. I sure feel like it already has been, because that was a delicious intro, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this Not is- to toot our own horn. Right. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one to do. I, I think this was one that was in my bucket list items, and I, I probably wouldn't put- watching all these episodes again on a, on a bucket list uh, it would be something like uh, reading reading all of Agatha Christie's novels or something like that. It's a little bit harder to accomplish. But I did talk about on that episode about how uh, we watched these growing up and it would be, you know, one would be on TV and we'd, we'd start watching it. And, uh, you know, you didn't have Netflix. Uh, we never went and got the DVDs from the library or the VHS from the library. So it was uh, bits and pieces throughout the years. And then we we finally filled in the gaps, the episodes we had not seen before. And uh, yeah, uh, obviously it's a um, anthology series. So uh, and anything like that, you're going to have high points, you're going to have low points. And... Uh, just with the, the time period that it was made, uh, there's definitely some things that are, are lower quality, uh, with the show. But that being said, I think it holds up, uh, extremely well. I think it holds up better than anything else from its time period. I think, uh, did have its low points, but its high points were as high as, uh, I'm not going to say it's the best show of all time or anything like that, but, uh, but it's, when it had high points, its high points are, yeah. are pretty high, so uh, it's definitely one of my favorite shows. Uh, hopefully, Melissa, you enjoyed watching through them as well. Yeah. I'd say overall, it's kind of like a 50-50 show as far as whether, you know, some mm. are, are above average, some are a little below average. I mm-hmm. like, on the whole, I like all of them um, with the exception of two. Mm. But, you know, it's odds are I, I, I liked pretty much all of them. Uh I did have a couple of thoughts as I was looking through all the episodes and making this list. Uh, a lot of episodes are a little bit preachy, I noticed. <laughs> uh, they, sure. they have a point that they're trying to get across, and they definitely do not hide that fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean... Uh, I mean, not just with what the show is uh, portraying, but then at the end, just in case you missed it, Rod Serling's going to get on there <laughs> at the end and a lot of times preach at you. Um, I noticed that a lot of them have to do with people regretting the decisions that they've made or that they want to return to the past. Mm. Uh, so I guess that was very near and dear to the show writers' hearts. A lot of them have to do with making packs with the devil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a common uh, theme. Yeah. What through, would you give uh, in history? exchange for your greatest wish? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'd say maybe 60, 70% of them have to do with fear of some sort. Mm, sure. So I uh, 
just just from all of that, I, I really felt that the Twilight Zone is really good at, at capturing humanity mm-hmm. in in how we feel, how we perceive things. Um, yeah, it's a really good show. And um, I was I was going to ask you, are there do you think are there any TV shows that do what Twilight Zone does um, or or do it as well as it did? Kind of just take uh, just something that we all could plug ourselves into a little isolated incident and we could put ourselves in that person's shoes and sort of build us a, a little 30 minute story around it. Uh, maybe have a moral to it. Other times just kind of leave you hanging. Are you saying, is there anything like yeah, a modern show? Are there any show? other TV shows that kind of do something like that? Uh, I mean, there were other shows. Uh, I think Star Trek, the original Star Trek to some okay. degree. Uh, was was similar in that a lot of times they had a certain certain thing they want to talk about Vietnam War or racism okay, yeah. or uh, something like that. That's true, yeah. And it was um, a sort of a morality play or or a parable. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about it. I guess I don't know that there's uh, certainly uh, more recently. You you don't have these sort of anthology, um, short story collections, right? Um, on TV, it's a lot more serialized now, right? Uh, so everything's got to connect in some way, right? So certainly nothing modern. There might be some other shows that I'm I'm not as familiar with, or just not thinking of off the top of my head uh, that did that. Do you think they'll ever be able to do another show like t- like The Twilight Zone ever again? Um, so Can they. A new and improved version. Yeah, so they did do a new one. They did do a, an, uh, I don't know if they called it the new Twilight Zone or just called it the Twilight Zone still. They did it in the yeah. 80s. And uh, we watched, it, we've watched at least one episode from it. The, uh, that one with uh, the guy from White Christmas and Court Jester. What's his name? Oh, uh, Danny Kay. Danny Kay, yeah. Yeah. Remember that? We oh, just that one. Watched it recently. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, 1980s. Yeah, it was, it was fine. It was fine, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they've done that. There's uh, The Outer Limits, which I've never seen, but similar sci-fi anthology series. Um, yeah, I I think you could definitely you could definitely do this again. It seems like uh, it would be something uh, maybe like a... Uh, well, okay, uh, now I've said that you could... Uh, Black Mirror is uh, another show that's pretty similar. Uh, that's modern. Uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, there's, um, I don't know, there's been maybe four seasons, and they, I think they do like three or four episodes a season. Um, and it's all related to technology. So it's it's usually sort of a, um, you know, kind of a dark cautionary tale, uh, something to do with technology. And I guess that's kind of the modern day Twilight Zone. Um, so I haven't seen all of them. And uh, I've liked probably half of the ones that I've seen. Um, so okay. we'll we'll watch some of them sometime. Um, but I would um, I would skip the first episode, <laughs> and uh, I don't know maybe maybe read the synopses of some of these episodes before you watch them. You can watch the ones that I I show you, of course. Okay. Um. So yeah. Uh. But uh, back to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Sorry, I just yeah. I do think that there is greatness in the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and so I was just wondering if 
if we'll ever be able to recapture this or right. or read or copy it. So right, yeah, you'll have to you'll have to see a few Black Mirror episodes and and tell me what you think. Okay, if you think it uh, lives up to, I think some of them uh, definitely definitely do. Others are are not not as good. And let's see what else. Uh, so you, I've seen every episode now. You have seen all but one, as far as I can tell. What was the one that I have So the seen? one that you have not seen is called I Dream of Genie. It stars, I don't remember the actor's name, but it's the guy who plays Ernest T. Bass on Andy Griffith's show. He also plays uh, Gopher on the old Winnie the Pooh cartoon. Well, and... at least he had one good role. <laughs> and I guess now is a good point before we talk about, before I tell you about that one, to say uh, you can't really talk about the Twilight Zone uh, with its famous uh, twist endings without going into spoilers. So we're going to be spoiling all these episodes as we talk about them. So if you don't want to be spoiled on these episodes, what you can do is go to our website, uh, go to the show notes for this website, it's gonna, uh, for this episode, it's going to be at tto.coaster.us slash 91, and go see what our lists are, and then go on Netflix, or go get the DVDs at your local library, or go buy them and uh check out these episodes um and uh it's 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 well worth your time yeah i think yeah it's i'd agree um but on the other hand even if you know what the ending is like uh i I think you might have heard of of the endings of some of these or or knew it was coming and uh could still appreciate some of them we can talk about those as we get to them but uh yeah so full spoilers for these uh and any of the honorable mentions that come up Uh, so just be aware of that uh, so yeah, I Dream of Genie. It's uh, it's pretty common story in fiction. So it's guy that gets three wishes and he wishes for three different things and then uh, kind of regrets the uh, wishes that he made and goes back to having nothing at the end. Um, so pretty standard. Uh, the only really memorable scene for me is a kind of a funny one where I don't know what exactly what his wish is. If he wishes that his wife was a movie star or he wishes he was married to a movie star or something like that and uh it's i don't and i don't remember exactly saying i looked it up but it's something like uh she doesn't want him to kiss her on the face because it'll mess up her makeup <laughs> so it, he like can kiss her hand or something like that something pretty funny uh, so it's it's a fine episode it's it's pretty average uh, you're not you wouldn't have put it on your top 10. Yeah. Um, you'll have to watch it sometime just to say that you've, okay. you've seen them all, but you're fine not having seen that one. Uh, let's see. Anything else that you want to mention before we get into the actual lists? Anything about how you made your list or uh, criteria you had? Well, let's see. I uh, I first started watching Twilight Zone a long time ago, and mm. then, I mean... Yep. Uh, we started watching these, and I don't know, back when we were first married in Pensacola, maybe. Right. It and then yeah, so over the course of seven years, we've finally gotten to watch all of them. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go and read the synopses of every episode to try and jog my memory. Okay, this is what happened. So I right. came up with a list of forty-two episodes, and then Whoa. from there, I narrowed it down to twenty. In the top twenty, I was like, okay, I have to go. And watch all of these, or at least snippets of them, to remind me <laughs> of, are they really, you know, which ones are the best? But there were two 
that I already remembered and instantly knew. Yeah, without having to watch these, these <laughs> have got to make the top ten. And we'll get to those. And pro- I, I know at least one of them is going to be on your list. And if it's not, I'm going to cry foul because (laughs) it's such a good episode. Well, we'll Um, see. I also had, I think I had 19 on my short list. So nine honorable mentions to go with my top 10. All right. All right. Well, Uh, let's let's get into it. Do I go first? Yeah, go for it. Okay. All right. So my number 10 is actually the first episode of season one. Oh, and oh, wow. Crazy. Uh, Before we go. How many episodes do you think we'll have crossover on? I'm hoping for two and possibly three, but I'm going to say definitely one. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking two. So I'm, I'm there with you. I, I have two picked out that I think you'll, you'll put on there. So we'll see. All right. Episode one. Interesting. I don't even know what episode one is. Yeah. So uh, episode one is called Where Is Everybody? And I felt uh, that yeah. they just that knocked it out of the park with this one. Mm-hmm. So it starts out, you've got this guy, he's just walking along a dirt road towards the diner, and inside he finds a jukebox playing, and there's hot coffee on the stove, and uh, he keeps on finding, uh, as he goes around through this town, he keeps on finding these little evidences that People must be nearby. There's a cigar that's burning in an ashtray, food that's cooking on a stove, there's water dripping, um, but there's nobody around. It's just completely quiet except for these little sounds. And then he happens to see a mannequin sitting in a delivery, uh, in the cab of a delivery truck. And he gets all excited, but, you know, obviously (laughs) it's just somebody fake. And, uh, uh, so he starts, you know, just going, getting increasingly panicked and going crazy. And finally, he ends up pressing a button repeatedly, uh, just in his panic. And that ends up being actually a panic button. And it turns out that he is in an isolation room mm-hmm. and has been under observation because he's getting ready for, uh, space flight going to the moon alone and this was his psychological uh stress test and uh so they're trying to evaluate him and see if he'll be able to handle being alone for a certain uh long period of time and uh it's really really good feeling at the end when you discover okay he's not alone <laughs> there are other people it was all just a test but then it's kind of a oh man he he lost it there at the end, and he's going to have to go through this all over again, and he's really going to have to be alone, and how's he going to handle the stress? And so, and it just ends on that note uh, that, it, you know, how's he going to do? We don't know. Uh, and he seems, he seems confident that he'll be able to handle it, but then, of course, he just found out, woke up that, and found out that he's with people again. Mm. So... Who knows? And that's uh, that's my number 10. I thought it was a really good, solid start to the show. And uh, it kept me engrossed the whole episode. Right. My number 10, Where Is Everybody? Yeah. Written by Rod Serling. He wrote, I think, about half, maybe a little bit more than half of the episodes of the show. And uh, 
Yeah. Great writer. Of course, did the iconic narration at the beginning and end of each episode. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good pick. I'm sure it would have been number 20. <laughs> huh. Not in my top 19. All right, so let's get to my number 10. It's called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. Do you remember this one? Yeah. Uh, it, it was fine. Yeah. Clown, hobo, ballet dancer, bagpiper, and an army major. I so, think this, the ending of this one actually had been spoiled for me ahead mm. of time. And so when I saw it, I already kind of knew what what was happening. Gotcha. I don't know. I don't remember if this is one I, I guessed the ending of or not. But uh, yeah, so it's one of these really, really simple, uh, really simple stories. And I, I do like those, like the uh, 12 Angry Men, where it's just 10 guys on jury duty all sitting in a room discussing a case. Uh, this is that same kind of thing where uh, you have five different people and they're just in a cylinder and they don't know how they got there. They don't know anything about themselves. And so they're all kind of uh, talking about, uh, you know, where could they be? Where could they have come from? And they try and escape. And then, uh, I mean, it's not anything profound at the end there. It turns out they're all dolls. And, uh, yeah, but it is it is a little bit sad that, uh, you know, they kind of see them as people. And then at the end, it's oh, they're just dolls and uh, they're not actually going to be able to escape from this. Uh, right. This barrel of of uh, donations. They're just going to get parceled out to the kids or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, really like this this style of story. And then. uh Little little sad ending, a little bit of a sad ending, and uh, yeah, I don't uh, don't know that I have really too much more to add. Also written by Rod Serling, uh, based on a on a short story, and uh, yeah, that's my number ten. Anything else to add? Just that it seems like the Twilight Zone had several episodes like this where it was. Uh, very little happened, like mm-hmm. you didn't move around from set to set. It would, right. mostly just took place in one room, but they did a really good job with this. Yep. Yeah, there's, let's see, there's at least one more, I'd say, where it's basically all in one, on one location. And uh, again, this is part of that same thing where lower budget back then for television, so you were never going to have, uh, never going to have really big locations or, or large casts or anything for these. So it's all going to be constrained just by uh, how the medium was was uh, funded and and how it worked back then but uh yeah they did a good job with with it and so that's my number 10 five characters in search of an exit all right my number nine comes from season four it's called death ship and Hmm. you have the this crew of three people they're out to uh, analyze worlds and uh, discover if they're suitable oh, yeah. for colonization. And uh, they see, while they're orbiting this planet, they see something that might be a sign of alien life. And when they go down to check it out, it turns out it's the wreckage of a ship that looks <laughs> exactly like theirs. And they get out and look inside, and there are three bodies, and it's them. But how can this be? Because... <laughs> 
you know, they're alive and they're looking at themselves. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the whole episode, you're wondering what is going on. And of course, everybody's (laughs) freaking out and the captain's trying to, uh, he's, he's keeping control by his iron command. And meanwhile, the, the men are kind of getting homesick for their families, you know, just seeing these, these dead bodies. They're like, I want to be away from this place. And, uh, they're trying to decide, should, I mean, can we even leave the planet because of, um, I forget what, I don't know, gravitational pull or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally they decide, no, we gotta get, we gotta try and get out of here. And, uh, eventually as they're leaving, the underlings finally realize that they really are dead. That is what they saw is, is themselves dead. They must have crashed on there. Uh, and they're trying to tell the captain, and he's like, no, no, we're not dead. This is not happening. Uh, I don't know what's happening, but we're going to figure out what's happening. And it's not that we're dead. And we're going to go over it again. And we'll land again, and we'll go inspect it and see what's going on. And we'll figure it out this next time. But it's not that we're dead. And so... It ends up that they're in this continuous loop and they're never allowed to be at peace and just mm-hmm. die because of their commander's iron insistence that they are not dead. <laughs> and so they endlessly go down yeah. and see and relive again that horror right. of seeing their dead bodies and then trying to escape and realizing, oh, actually, we are dead. And so it's a. Uh, it's a pretty crazy twist, mm-hmm. and uh, it just kind of blew my mind and made me feel horrified and sad for them. And, you know, usually you're like, yeah, these people that are panicking, they need an iron-willed commander to, to <laughs> snap them back into place and right. hold it together, guys. Okay, we're going to get through this. But then, right. in this case, he's too iron-willed. <laughs> right. He just refuses to acknowledge that he's dead mm-hmm. and he won't let his men die either. Uh, so that's that's just a really crazy, cool concept, and I loved it. That's my number nine, Death Ship. Yeah, written by the king of the subtle twist, Richard Matheson. Remember him? Nice. Oh, yeah. Author of? I Am Legend. That's right. Very good, sir. Very good. Okay. Yep, that is a good episode. Uh, that would that'd be number 20 for sure. Very good. You suck. <laughs> Very good episode. <laughs> like that one. My number nine, speaking of loops and uh, uh, repeating uh, <laughs> repeating the story, this one is maybe one of the darker episodes. And there's some, there's some dark episodes. Uh, this one is called Shadow Play. And this is, uh, there's a man, he's on trial for murder. The judge sentences him to death, and he goes to prison. He's sentenced to die by electric chair, and the whole time he's claiming, "Oh, this one that he's already done this. He's already gone oh, yeah. through this." And he says that he's dreaming it, and everyone else is just part of his dream. And if they kill him, then they will all cease to exist. <laughs> and he he claims that they're all. Uh, different people that he's known. Uh, there's a, a priest uh, that uh, gives him last rites or whatever at the end. And uh, he 
uh, says it was a priest that, that he knew when he was a young young boy. And uh, yeah, there's <laughs> uh, so there's uh, the you know there's the lawyer and there's the newspaper writer and uh, you know they 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 listen to him and they're they doubt what he says, but then they start to possibly believe him and they try and get his execution stayed and uh, they uh, try and get a pardon from the governor and they're just too late and so they electrocuted him and then he wakes up and he's in the in the dock again Uh. and uh, everybody's switched places now the judge is the person who was the uh, newspaper man before or something like that it's all different different people that he's he's dreaming now but on he's the still, same trial. He's yeah, still yep, gonna die. Still, still gonna die. Be electrocuted. Apparently, it's a pretty long night for this guy. He's just uh, having this dream over awful. and over. So, <laughs> yeah, this one, this one is is uh, pretty memorable for me, and uh, I, I I just love that uh, sort of that Groundhog Day repeating mm-hmm. uh, the same story multiple times, like that setup, and so yeah. This is one of my favorites. My number nine, in fact, written by Charles Beaumont. Very good. Shadow Play is my number nine. That would have been my 21. There you go. All right. My number eight is from season two. It's called The Invaders. Mm-hmm. So this is one where it starts out showing this old woman. You can tell she's poor. She's living in kind of the shack and she's just sort of pottering about making mm-hmm. a big stew and, and, uh, uh, you know, just kind of raggedy looking. And then she hears a strange sound outside. And uh, she goes to investigate up through her attic. And there's this little miniature spaceship that has landed in her attic. And as she's looking at it, and she she doesn't talk. Uh, and that's kind of odd. But uh, you think, well, I mean, maybe she's just, I mean, you can tell she's isolated and lives alone. And so maybe she just doesn't really speak. She's mute or something. Right. And so as she's looking at it, down comes this hatchway and out walks a little alien in a spacesuit. <laughs> and she takes fright and she and the, the aliens start fighting each other. And uh, along out comes another little alien. So now there's two of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, she loses track of them in her house. And throughout this whole long night, mm-hmm. you know, she's searching for them. She's terrified of them. Mm. Uh, they've they've got these little laser guns that they've burned her with. Mm. Uh, they're only like, I don't know, maybe uh, three inches tall or something like that compared right. to her. Right. But uh, at one point, they get a knife and they jab her several times in the in the leg and another time they cut her hand as they're sneaking around and uh i mean you know they're tiny so they can fit into small cracks and crevices and she doesn't know where where she might find them and the whole time you just feel for this poor lonely old woman who is just Mm -hmm. terrified and like you see her panting with exhaustion and fear and uh i mean you're right there with her. You just never know where these creatures are going to pop up. And then at one point, uh, she manages to kill one of them. And yes, oh, but there's another one in it. And it's still out there lurking. Nah, but but one of them's done halfway through. And so maybe, 
that maybe there's hope for her. And uh, and then you realize it's going back to its spaceship and it's going to take off. Mm-hmm. And so she clambers up after it and she starts with the last of her strength to destroy the spaceship. And then you start to hear words coming out from the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Saying, mayday, mayday, do not come to this this planet. <laughs> there are giants here. <laughs> and the screen pans out the show. U.S. Uh, Air, uh, Air Force or right, Space Force right. ship or whatever, and it turns out those little aliens are actually humans. Right, and, and she the was alien. the aliens, and right. I love that twist. That just yeah, blew me away the first time <laughs> I saw it. But you know, all of a sudden, this woman that you've just been feeling so bad for, mm-hmm. and on her side, all of a sudden you see her as a monster, and you're horrified, and you just realize she caused the deaths of two humans. Right. So, fantastic twist. Yep. My number eight, The Invaders. Written by? I don't know. Richard Matheson. Of course. Of course. What a great writer. <laughs> and, yeah, very good. Good episode. Good pick. So, that was your number eight? Yes. All right. My number eight. I think if you were to ask uh, the man on the street, the woman on the street, Tell me a Twilight Zone episode. I think there's a few that would come up, and maybe we'll we'll have a few more of those on our list. But uh, this is, I think, one of the three or four that people would be most familiar with that has really kind of pierced the public consciousness and really, really lodged in there. And it was part of the Twilight Zone movie that they did. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, but I'm not. They did a Twilight Zone movie, which was basically, they kind of tried to make it one story. So I haven't seen it. Um, but my understanding is they kind of tried to make a one story, but they basically took some of these old stories from the show and redid them and uh, kind of um, tried to kind Piece of cobble together, them together yeah. into one story. I don't, I don't know if it really worked or not. But uh, this was one of the ones that they chose, and it is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. I knew if this didn't make your <laughs> list, it would at least be an honorable mention for you. Right. And... Uh, I think this was the first the first Twilight Zone I ever saw. Nice. Even before I met you. It's definitely one of the earliest ones I remember watching. And is it only because it's William Shatner that it's this high on my list? Possibly. But, hey, that gremlin is creepy. And it is a great story. Man, that he's just out of the sanitarium. He's still very nervous. And then... You know, his wife's there with him trying to trying to ca- keep him calm, trying to get him back home. And he's seeing this gremlin that nobody else can see. Or is he? Is he imagining it? And so he's going crazy or he's saving everybody on the plane. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, uh, great story written by Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh Fun to watch William Shatner, as always. <laughs> and uh, he does a really good job in this episode. And I think, uh, I think, well, yeah, I won't I won't say anything else about uh, William Shatner on The Twilight Zone. Uh, this is not the only episode that he was on. Uh, we'll see if we talk about the other one after this or not. But, uh, yeah, uh, great episode. Great uh, performance by William Shatner. And a very memorable story. Another hit from Mr. Matheson. That's my number eight. Nightmare at 20,000 feet. 
Yeah, I'll agree. Uh, I will say the first time I saw this, yeah, I was totally creeped out seeing the gremlin. The second time, and I watched it with you, I was like, I don't know. I think I I had hyped it up a little bit more in my mind, mm. and and I did, or maybe I'd just grown up and seen scarier things, <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, that's not really scary looking, but all the same, for that first that first impression, it mm. was a good one. Mm-hmm. All right, my number seven comes from season three. It's called The Shelter. This one is a really, really good one. Oh, my goodness. So, it starts out, there's all these people. They're just having kind of a meal together, fellowshipping, having a party or whatever. And then sirens go off. And uh, the man whose house that they're all in, he takes his wife and, I don't know, two kids, uh, I think, there's or maybe one child there's only room for like three or four people basically just his family in the bomb shelter that Mm. he built and uh so they go in there and all of their friends and neighbors who they had just been hanging out with and it spent some time showing how great friends these guys all are and they just love each other but they start they hang out outside the bomb shelter and say come on let us in and he's like, well, why didn't you build bomb shelters? You know what kind of world we live in? Why well, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the money. And, and he's like, well, I mean, I'm <laughs> sorry, but I only have food and provisions and space mm-hmm. for just us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and stuff, I mean, uh, everything comes out, uh, of the closet. They, they start hurling accusations, calling names. I mean, every, evil thought and um, vile uh, feeling that can come out of the heart of man comes out. And it's it's really ugly watching these people as they turn from great friends into instant enemies as they beg and plead and, and uh, hurl outrage at this guy for not letting them into his bomb shelter <laughs> when they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't think that the world could come to nuclear war and, and so they didn't plan ahead for themselves. Mm-hmm. Finally, they end up breaking, finding a way to break down his door. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's like right after they do that, it it gets announced over the radio that, oh, sorry, guys, false alarm. Uh, everybody's okay. No nuclear war after all. But. You just see in the episode and right ends right there, and you just see them all kind of looking at each other <laughs> shamefacedly that they've just destroyed their friendships and relationships mm-hmm. without a bomb. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was what it said at the end, right. and it was uh, <laughs> it was really really deep made made you think. And uh, I will say that is one of the things I mentioned it earlier about how the Twilight Zone really is able to. To make you see humanity for what it is in its good points, but also in its really dark points too. So solid, solid episode. My number eight, seven, uh, seven, seven. The shelter. Yep. Uh, written by Rod Serling. Good episode. I think there's one that's similar. It has sort of a similar uh, moral, I guess, uh, that I like better. And uh, we'll talk about that one when it comes up. My number seven 
is called Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up? Do you remember this one? This was one of the top 40 that I considered. Nice. Yep. So this is the one where they're all trapped in a diner. So mm-hmm. it's, again, that sort of... Closed uh, room. Right. You're just in a in a single room, basically, for the whole episode. And the setup is... Uh, I don't remember exactly how they know, but there's, like, footprints that come out of an uh, alien spaceship mm-hmm. and uh, to a bus station. And then the bus... Uh, the bus came with six people, but there are seven people in the diner or something. Like right, that. right, right. So the the policemen are trying to figure out who the alien is of the people in the diner. You know, it's somebody, and <laughs> so is it this person? Is it this person? And even, even there's a couple, a man and a woman, and so you'd think they would be able to uh, verify the other, but even they aren't 100 percent sure that 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 their spouse or or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is are. Or not the alien. I hope you will never doubt me and think I might be an alien, by the way. We'll see. <laughs> Humph. I mean, it, maybe the alien has shape-shifted to look like you, and I have to be able to tell that it's really you. Humph. You'd, you'd be upset if it were an alien that shape-shifted to look like you, and I wasn't able to tell. So, True. of course, I have to question it. <laughs> so, but aliens don't exist. So, anyway. So... Yeah, so uh, great, great episode. Uh, you've got the uh, crazy old man Jack Elam with the the lazy eye. Do you remember him? He's on no, a lot of these old shows, and uh, you'd you'd recognize him from his picture. But uh, and you're wondering who the the alien is, and uh, then at the end you realize it was it was the the serious businessman, and uh, he goes back to the diner and. And talks to the the chef and reveals that he's the alien. And then it turns out the chef is also um, the chef is also an alien. And that's the kind of double twist at the end. So it's a great episode. I always like watching this one. And uh, this is one. Uh, if you had asked me before we went and and uh, watched a bunch of them, like before we were uh, watching them as a married couple, this this would have uh, been one of my top two or three so that's will the real martian please stand up written by rod serling that's my number seven yeah that's a good one all right my number six comes from season one it's called i shot an arrow into the air Mm. yes this one has four astronauts who take off in a spaceship and uh something goes wrong with their spaceship they black out and when they wake up, they've crash-landed. Uh, one of them is injured and dies soon after after they land. But they're on, like, this, this desert area. And, you know, they realize nobody's coming for them. They're just going to have to somehow make their own way here and uh, survive on their own for the next four years. Because it took four years to build their spaceship, and so... It'll take another four to, to build another one to come search for them and so forth. So all they have is themselves and each other and what they brought with them. Uh, but they're in the desert and water's running low. And one, all it takes is just one person to cause a crack in the fellowship. And it turns out there is one guy and he starts panicking and thinking, I don't want to die here. And it's every man for himself. (laughs) And so when the wounded man dies from 
uh, you know, just from his injuries, he starts sneaking uh, water from the the dead man's canteen instead of uh, sharing it with everybody else. And then uh, the captain orders them. Uh, so there's three of them left now, and orders the two two underlings to go search around and see if there's water. And one of them doesn't come back. And the panicky guy comes back and says, "Well, I saw. I've got his canteen." Well, the captain notices he's got his canteen and accuses him of killing him. He's like, no, 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 he was already dead. <laughs> and uh, it's never really clear as to whether he killed him or not. Uh, but either way, it turns out the guy wasn't really dead. Uh, Doesn't that prove that he didn't kill him? If he's... Well, he could have tried to kill him and then didn't double check to make sure he's dead. Okay. He just took his canteen and ran and assumed he'd die on his own. Sure. But the guy manages to crawl a little bit farther away, and so they find him. And he dr- tries to draw a sign in the sand. <laughs> and they're like, well, what, what was he trying to tell us before he died? And so then the captain knows that this guy is really not going to not gonna be a team player. Uh, but he's trying to figure out what was what was the dead man trying to tell him, and finally the panicky guy just sh- ends up shooting the captain. And uh, <laughs> of course he's hoarding all the the water from the canteens for himself, and that's why he's been letting everybody die. And there is a really great quote uh, right after he shoots the captain. <laughs> He's talking about, you know, how the captain, again, was trying to keep everybody, everybody together. Iron Will, and we got to stick together, and we're going to make this work. Uh, and the panicky guy says to the dead captain, you know your trouble? You were trying to bring the book to this this barren wasteland. You were looking for morality in the wrong place. <laughs> and then shortly after that, it shows him he's climbing in the in the direction that the dead man had pointed for them to go. And he climbs over this ridge and he sees telephone poles <laughs> and signs <laughs> for a nearby town. And it turns out they crash landed in the desert on Earth. <laughs> and. Oops. Yeah. He just killed his team. And I, I just love that line. You were looking for morality in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. How, uh, when it comes down to it, you know, we're all fallen creatures. And uh, that's that's the nature of this world. And so it's just a really good, uh, just a really well-fitting episode altogether. And that's my number six. I shot an arrow into the air. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's, I'd say, probably an average one, similar to the the shelter, I'd say. Huh. And moving on to my number six, right? We're on the sixes? Yes. It's our first crossover, The Invaders. Ah. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I didn't, uh, oh, I guess I, I forgot to mention. I didn't think this would be on your list. I Shot an Arrow in the Air, written by Madelon Champion, so uh, another new person, not not Richard Matheson or or uh, Rod Serling. Yeah, I, I didn't expect this to be on your list. I thought it would be too uh, simple and kind of boring for you. But yeah, uh, no no speaking, basically. Almost no dialogue. And just Agnes Moorhead uh, walking around. And uh, I guess the, the little, little uh, astronauts are, are puppets. Mm-hmm. So it really is just just her 
and some puppets. And she does a great job of oh yeah, great acting of acting uh, without any dialogue and uh, good music and uh, well directed. Yep, uh, this is a uh, I think a good example of uh, how you can have constraints that really elevate uh, uh-huh. uh, elevate the story. Uh, where people will find ways around certain constraints to to tell a great story. Yeah, you don't need big CGI or flashy special effects or anything like that to have a really good story. Or dialogue, even. Yes. So, yep. I did not expect this one to be on your list, but uh, definitely when I saw it, had put on mine. That's my number six, The Invaders. All right, my number five, again, comes from season one. A lot of really good ones on season one. Hmm. And it's called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Mm. Street. Hey, this is also similar to your last two. What can I say? I love these (laughs) people going crazy. Just appeals to me somehow. I guess so. Oh, my goodness. This one is phenomenal. Okay, so five through one, by the way. These are the cream of the crop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love I'll be these. i that. Uh, so you've got uh, just a quiet street, you know, average American uh, town, and everything looks so charming and peaceful. There's neighbors out on their front lawns, watering them, chatting away to each other. There's little boys running up to get some ice cream from an ice cream vendor. And then all of a sudden, there's a strange sound that they hear going by overhead. And, uh, and they all wonder, what, what was that? Nah, probably just an asteroid. But then, nobody's electronics work. Uh, hmm. there's no electricity and, uh, people can't get their cars to start. And one man goes over to another street to go check and see what's going on. Meanwhile, everybody starts talking. Hey, what's going on? What could it be? And uh, cause, was it related to that sound that we heard? And then this boy speaks up, this teenager. And he's like, well, in these comic books I've been reading, it's uh, it's aliens. And, and I don't think they want us to leave the town. And... They always send send in a family uh, that look just like us, and and they're kind of the the force that lands ahead of everybody else to to pave the way. And and so just from those words, and already from the other odd occurrences, everybody starts to suspect each other and think, well, yeah, you do have these odd idiosyncrasies, and, <laughs> and maybe you are an alien after all. And then this uh, neighbor's car suddenly starts up on its own, and he's not in the car. And uh, that happens a couple more times, and everybody start you know everybody wants a scapegoat, and they start saying, "Yeah, you're the monster." And and uh, basically, the whole town ends up turning on each other, and uh, somebody accidentally kills someone else, and uh, basically. The town just ends up in chaos, and there is one guy in there who is, you know, he's the clear thinker, and he's like, okay, everybody, let's just calm down. Mm-hmm. Sure, th- weird things are happening, but there's logical explanations and, uh, you know, so forth and so on. But I really love how even the clear thinker sometimes has doubts, and you can tell 
like he falls silent and he's sometimes unsure as to whether one of them might not might or might not be an alien and the guy who had gone over into another town to see or over another street to see if they were having the same problem he starts walking coming back down the street and it's dark now and they can't really see him they can just hear him coming and that's when somebody goes and gets a shotgun and the clear thinker is like no 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 it wouldn't do any good against against an alien and so even things like that where we all like to think yeah i'd be the clear thinker <laughs> i wouldn't be panicking but yeah Right. Yeah, we'd, we'd all have our moments, and and it's easy to get caught up in the herd mentality, and it's it's just great. And then it turns out, yeah, there were actually aliens, and they were causing all these disturbances, and they're like, yep, see how easy it is? Just make a few things go haywire and uh, <laughs> not be normal, and they just turn on themselves. Right. Pretty sobering thought. <laughs> My number five, the monsters are due on Maple Street. Nice. Written by Rod Serling. Good pick. All right. My number five. And I guess I haven't been saying what season mine have been from. I've had one from season three, one's from season five, and the rest have been from season... I've had three from season two so far. This one from season three. It's one of the last uh, that you saw. It was one of the last few uh, that we finally got to offer you as a rewatch for me. It's called It's a Good Life. This was, let's see, this was in the top 20. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this ah. is another another uh, famous one. I think another, this would be another one of the ones people would, would remember. And uh, another really popular one. This is the one with uh, young uh, Billy Moomy. And he's basically a child with godlike powers, mental powers. He can um, move people around. He can read minds. And uh, pretty much seems like he can do whatever he wants. And so everybody lives in fear because, uh, you know, uh, it's a, what what do you think he is? Five, six, seven, eight. Under 10, sir. Yeah, very young. So, you know, he's going to throw tantrums. And normally when a child throws a tantrum, you just send them to their room. But if the child has godlike powers, then... He wishes you away into oblivion. Right. So everybody tries to keep him very happy, tells him he's good, and, and everything that he does is good. and Even when it's very bad. Right. So uh, it's it's just great the whole time seeing everybody walking on eggshells around him. And some, some people crack. And uh, yeah, it's great. Great episode. <laughs> uh, very clever oh man and it really brings up this uh moral uh mm. what's it called sure moral crisis or sure I, I can't think of the right sure would you would you uh you know should they kill him yeah because he's just I a child but because yeah. there comes a point where you have to think of everybody else and he really is endangering everybody or, I mean, if you can't bring yourself to kill him, like, keep him drugged or something. Right, right. Yep. There's one character who willingly sacrifices himself, and he's like, okay, everybody, while his attention is on me, bean him, you know? And, right. of course, none of them do, and they're just signing their own death warrants. Right. So, yep, yep. Very good episode. One of the, one of the best. And it's my... Number five from season three, written by Rod Serling, based on a short story. It's a good life. 
right, my number four comes from season three, and it's one of the ones that as soon as we talked about doing this list, I was like, that one is making it onto the list. Okay. And again, it's one of the earlier ones that I first saw. It's The Dummy. Uh, that's also my number four. Awesome! <laughs> All right, so anytime you've got a dummy on screen, mm. it's already kind of creepy. Right. But this is a really creepy little wooden dummy. Right. And I, I was just rewatching it tonight to see how it how high it should be on the list. And uh there's one point where after his uh little performance, the ventriloquist is kinda, you know, washing his face in a mirror and he's got the dummy sitting on a chair behind him or whatever on the couch. And uh he looks in the mirror and uh he had put the dummy's face uh turned away. Only now it's facing him. <laughs> And he turns around and, nope, the face is turned away. Okay. <laughs> so he reaches down into a, a drawer and, and uh, you know, pulls something out or whatever. And now the face is grinning at him. And it's just so creepy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you talk about it for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they do a really good job of, I mean, uh, there's certain things that are, are creepy, like, uh, dolls can be creepy. Uh, mannequins, mm-hmm. uh, ventriloquist dummies, and all of those come up in in some good episodes. Yeah, this one uh, not ranked very highly, so I uh, I'll talk at the end. Uh, give the top ten as rated by IMDb users, so sort of a people's choice top ten. This one's not rated very highly on on IMDb, and I, I can kind of understand it doesn't have uh, you know like a good. Uh, make you think moment or anything it's just creepy yes but it is creepy and the this whole time he's uh you know he's trying to get rid of the dummy he's trying to use a different one keeps on hearing its voice in his head yeah he's, he's hearing his voice and he's got this creepy little laugh <laughs> right and then the the very end doesn't make any sense but it might be the creepiest end to any episode where it they're <laughs> they're on to the last uh, they they show an act of the ventriloquist at the very very end and somehow the ventriloquist is now uh willie the dummy and he's holding uh jerry who's been turned into a dummy yeah doesn't make any sense it's not led up to or or foreshadowed at all but well it's kind of you've seen it that the dummy has slowly been taking over and he's like I i'm guess. calling the shots now i guess so yeah I guess so, but uh, yeah, very, very creepy. Oh, I know. <laughs> I paused it on that scene, and I just oh, looked yeah. at their faces, <laughs> and like they look so similar, but you can see, yeah, uh, like the the actor did a phenomenal job, like they did with the the makeup and how he just kept his face <laughs> in that permanent smile, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then they, the wig that they put on the dummy, and ah. Oh, it's so disgustingly horrific. That's a great one. Very good. Very good. Season three, written by yeah. Rod Serling, based on a short story. Ah. So, yep, yep. That is a good pick. So that's our number four. Yeah. The dummy. So what's All your right, number that's three? Our second crossover then. That's right. Uh, we've got to have. We've got to. There's have more. one more that 
I I know, or it had better be on your list. We'll see. What's, and, what's number three? And one Perhaps. more that I was hoping would be on your list. Okay. All right. My number three is from season five, and it's called The Long Morrow. Hmm. I don't remember this one. So this is one where an astronaut, okay, apparently almost all of mine have to do with astronauts. <laughs> I love space, apparently. Good and song. uh He's going to be gone on a 30-year mission, and oh, so uh, right before he leaves, he meets this girl in the hallway, and he decides, why not? You know, before I go, go out on this mission, I'll ask her out on a date, and uh, they just they just hit it off right away, and uh, she's beautiful, he's handsome, they're both charming, and uh, by the end of their three-and-a-half-hour date, uh, they have fallen in love uh, they found each found their soulmate, and uh, they were just broken up that they're never going to see each other again. Uh, right before they have this, uh, before they end their tearful parting in the hallway, they uh, she says, "Well, I'll be the little old lady who's holding the welcome back sign, <laughs> and uh, look for me." And she says, I'm really going to miss you. I'll never meet anyone else like you again. And uh, his body will have been put into uh, stasis. Uh, right, suspended animation. Yeah, so that, you know, he can make the journey over and back, no problem. And so he'll still be a young man when he comes back, but she'll have aged. And so he takes off in his rocket ship and then she goes to the people in charge there at the at the space center and she says i want you to put me in suspended animation i want to wait for him <laughs> and so uh the finally it sh skips ahead shows a spaceship landing she's dressed in a, a beautiful dress looking charming and fetching and uh she's stayed young for him and then the door is open and he's an old man. <laughs> and it turns out he stayed he stayed out of his animation cha chamber, his stasis chamber, so that he could grow old and be old when he came back to meet her. Yeah. And that it shows them meeting again. And, you know, they're just heartbroken as, you know, you see the love that they had for each other. <laughs> she wanted to stay young for him and he wanted to to be old with her and she's like well it could still work for us and he's like no you're you're young you've got your whole life ahead of you just go now and it broke my heart i started <laughs> crying all over again <laughs> and this this is one that i just love so much <laughs> and at the very end uh this other guy uh says to the old man he's been watching all this he says you know it's one of the greatest privileges perhaps the greatest privilege of my life to have witnessed such a love that a man that puts such a premium on love and wow <laughs> i i have nothing else to say about this but i love it it really gets you in the field it's so so gut-wrenchingly heartbreaking but it's so beautiful my number three, The Long Morrow. Nice. Yep, that is a good episode. Good choice. Very touching. All right. My number three is the one that uh, you probably 
uh, could have guessed would be on my list, and probably the people that know me, uh, probably my family would would guess that this one would be on my list. And I would have said for a long time that this was my favorite episode, and uh, it's not anymore, but still very high. Time enough at last. Oh yeah, I knew this would be on your list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, written by Lynn Venable, starring the great Burgess Meredith as this uh, nearsighted old man who just just wants to read. That's his chief pleasure in life, and he's never allowed to read at home. His wife doesn't like him reading. He can't read at work, of course, because he's supposed to be working. And so eventually he tries to... He goes into a, the bank vault at the bank that he works for. And, On his lunch break or something. Right, like he's like, oh yeah, I can, I can get a, a few minutes of quiet in here. And so then uh, bombs fall. It was a nuclear bomb. Everybody died. And he's all alone. He's wandering through the, the ruined cities all alone. And of course, he's heartbroken. And um, then he realizes, uh, wait a second, I have all the time now to read. And so, I have to, you know, time enough at last. And the library so was untouched. There's the library right There's Is it not? In my memory, it's... All the yeah. books are scattered because there's he ends up stacking oh, okay. stacking yeah. books. Yeah, but like there are lots of books to read. Right, all like the books are there shreds. for him. Yeah, and so you know he sits down to read the first book, and uh, oops, he sat on his glasses, <laughs> and uh, he's so nearsighted. There's there's no way he can read now. And really, if you think about it, there's there's no way he's gonna survive if he's so nearsighted that he's not going to be able to read or, or very barely read without those glasses. So probably not going to be able to, to uh, even get the food or the shelter that he's going to need. So very, very sad and just starts crying and it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. There was time now. <laughs> oh man. Such a great ending. Uh, as this, a book lover yourself. Exactly. As a book lover. Um, and has, uh, as a fan of Burgess Meredith, uh, although I guess mostly from from the Twilight Zone and, and then from Rocky, but yeah, uh, what a great episode! This this was definitely my favorite growing up. Still really like this one, and um, yeah, this is another one that's uh, gonna be like one of those two or three that that people are gonna recognize and they're gonna know that's from the Twilight Zone and, and know that that's the twist ending at the end. So. It's a great one. My number three, Time Enough at Last from season one. Yeah, it's an average one. No, 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 no. But I did know. So good. On your list. Such a good one. All right. Well, my number two. Yeah, two more. Comes from season two. Okay. And it is my favorite William Shatner episode. It is Nick of Time. Yeah, wow. I can't believe this is number two. This isn't on your list. It's then. not on my list. Oh, not even an honorable mention oh, for me. Oh, this one is so great. And it's a good we one. It, it is I was good. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, man and his wife, uh, they're on their honeymoon. They Their car breaks down. They got to get it repaired. So, they stop in at this little diner. And there's this little fortune-telling machine. Put a penny in and uh, push down the slot after you ask it a question. And it'll spit out a paper with a, you know, generic reply on it. And on the top, it's got this little bobble-headed, bobblehead of a, of a devil's head mm. with kind of a, a shiny eye. 
and these little gleaming teeth. And, you know, just for fun, they put a penny in and they start asking it questions of, will we be here long? Uh, How long should we stay or whatever? And little by little, their questions start to get more specific. (laughs) The man, especially William Shatner, uh, uh, you know, one of his first questions just uh, silly offhanded is like, did I get the raise that I was uh, hoping for? Mm-hmm. And it says, it has already been decided in your favor. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I'm just kind of curious. I'm going to go call call the office and find out. And he calls them. And sure enough, he got the raise and the promotion. And <laughs> now he's on on his way to financial success. And so he's all pumped up about that. He goes and asks the thing another question. And uh, little by little, the answers start to get very specific and that you should not leave until after three o'clock. And uh, it's like he get he starts to get seized by a fever. And we've got to do what this, this little machine is telling us. And his wife is watching him. And she's like, no, no, just... We can leave any time we want. And uh, so they go out for a stroll. And uh, uh, right at 3 o'clock, they almost get hit by a car. And he's like, see, we shouldn't have left the diner after all. It knew. And she's like, no, no. You were the one that was asking it those specific questions. It gave you generic answers. And and you filled in the blanks. And... uh, Throughout the whole thing, you know, it's it's eerily creepy, you know, and uh, things keep on seeming to come true uh, based on the predictions that it's making, and uh, and it's got that little bobblehead just waggling back and <laughs> forth with that creepy glint in its eye and the little little grin on its face, and ah, oh, that's it's such a creepy bobblehead, and uh, finally they make the right decision. They're like, you know what? We're masters of our own our own fates, and we're just gonna walk out of here and do whatever we want. And right as they leave, in comes another couple, and they sit <laughs> at that same booth mm-hmm. and they start asking the little fortune telling mm-hmm. machine, "Can we leave now?" And then they read the slip of paper, and their faces fall. Well, when can we leave? And <laughs> will we ever leave? And and they, you can see them starting to get more and more frantic, and. uh yeah, it's it's brilliant how it plays off of your fear, your superstitious beliefs, mm-hmm. and it's William Shatner. It's right. one of his greatest performances. <laughs> so that's my number two, Nick of Time. Nice. Written by Richard Matheson. Oh, okay. He only wrote 14 episodes out of the 14 of the 156 episodes. But as you can see, as you can see, his are some of the best. Yep, definitely. Well, well picked. Yeah, I, I like that episode. It's just uh, not quite one of my top twenty. Um, but uh, good choice, good choice, and uh, yeah, William Shatner's other episode. Um, so always enjoy seeing him on screen. All right, my number two is a crossover. And I like guess I like it a little bit more than you. The monsters are due on Maple Street. Wow! And you were making fun of me. No, I was just I was just kind of poking you for having three very similar stories. But they're oh, boom, also boom, boom. great. They are, but this one is the best of them. And yeah, just uh, seeing the very simple things—just people losing power and power coming back on and are off randomly. 
and uh people being paranoid even the level-headed guy losing it and they end up shooting someone and uh then just descends into chaos so yeah this is a great episode this is one that i'd seen growing up and i didn't really think was that great as a kid but then uh now watching it as an, an adult really recognized how great this one is and um yeah I, I don't know that i have anything more to add to what you already said so that's my number two the monsters are due on maple street all right that's what three crossovers for me uh let's see we had the monsters are due on maple street the dummy and the invaders okay. so we did have three crossovers so let's see if are we gonna have one or two more here well my number one comes from season five is it a crossover I'm hoping it's a crossover. Okay, it's not one I've mentioned yet. Yeah. Uh, my number one is from season two. Boo! This should totally be on hmm. your list. I mean, it could be an honorable mention. What is it? Is it's, it a sappy one? No. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's the creepiest one there is. The it's. Do you want to guess? Mm, the After Hours? No. It's an honorable mention for me. It's... Uh, Living doll? You. Yes, living doll. Ah, this is, this no, is this, the creepiest. It's an honorable mention for sure. Oh, <laughs> this is such this a good should one. be in the top 10. Oh, it's very good. Oh, Could so. Have been. Could have been 10. There's uh, this man and his wife. They're newly married, and she came <laughs> uh, with her daughter. So it's uh, the, the man's stepdaughter, and a uh, uh, bit of a rocky relationship between the, the stepdad and daughter. And uh, she's got this little doll called Talky Tina that she <laughs> she loves on and hugs because she's she's feeling insecure. I'm Talky Tina. He's very uh, he's a little bit abusive, got a little a little rough edged, and uh, just needs to learn how to be a better dad. And uh, wants her to get rid of the doll and uh, hates hearing it. My name is Talky Tina, and I love you. That's what what it says when you you pull the string but whenever he's alone with the doll the little girl left it in the room or something it starts saying other things my name is talky tina and i don't like you <laughs> and then later my name is talky tina and i'm going to kill you oh it's so creepy <laughs> and finally he ends up trying to destroy the doll he does all these different things and he's unable to destroy it. Finally, he gives it back to the little girl. And he's like, here, honey, I, I'm going to try to be a better father to you and stuff. And uh, uh, just, you know, you can see he's he's had a change of heart. He's trying to be nicer. But, you know, he's and you're wondering, is he just uh, going crazy? Is he just hearing this all in his head over his guilt of being mean to the little girl and so forth? And... He hears a sound in the middle of the night, and so he goes to check, and he trips and falls down the stairs and breaks his neck and dies. <laughs> and the wife comes running and flips on the light, and turns out he tripped over the doll that was on the stairs. And she picks it up and looks at it, and it says, My name is Taki Tina. And you better be nice to me. <laughs> and that's such a creepy moment. Oh, it's giving me chills right now as I think about it. So that's my number one. Creepiest, one of the creepiest moments I've ever experienced. Living doll. <laughs> Good pick. Good pick. 
That, that is also one of my favorites. All right, my number one. Uh, do you have any guesses for it? It's not a crossover. I'll give you a hint. It's another Burgess Meredith episode. I don't know, but there were there were a bunch of those. Oh, there's only three. Um, that means it's either Escape Clause or the Obsolete Man. Is he? I don't think he's in Escape Clause. Yeah, he is. Uh, not according to Wikipedia. Well, I could have sworn that was him. Never mind. Huh. Uh, well, yes, it is the obsolete man. Okay, this was an honorable mention for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good, because this is the best episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, this was one did not see until I was an adult. and probably wouldn't have really appreciated it as a kid anyway. But uh, this is uh, Burgess Meredith. He's a librarian. And it's he's in a uh, totalitarian state in the future. And they declare that he is obsolete. Uh, and uh, librarians are obsolete. He also believes in God, which also makes him obsolete. And so uh, they sentence him to death. But they let him choose his uh, how he'll be executed. And so uh, the chancellor uh, guy in charge shows up and... Uh, he uh, goes into the room uh, with the character, and there's a uh, television camera that's going to show his execution live, and um, it turns out that uh, Burgess Meredith has picked that uh, he'll be destroyed, killed by a bomb. So he set up, he's hidden a bomb in the room. It's going to go off and kill him and the Chancellor, and he's locked the door so that, that uh, they will both die. And so, uh, and then you see the difference between the two men where the chancellor is frantic and he's very nervous and, um, doesn't want to die, of course. And Burgess Meredith, uh, pulls out his Bible and he starts reading it, reading through Psalms and he's, uh, you know, very calm and, uh, trust God. And I, just right before the bomb goes off, the chancellor says, uh, you know, let me go in the name of God. And so Burgess Meredith says, uh, I will in, under, un, un, in those terms. And so he unlocks the door for him. Um, the chancellor runs out. Uh, Burgess Meredith stays and dies in the explosion. Uh, but then everybody saw the uh, chancellor uh, uh, as a coward and also saw him say in the name of God. And so now he is declared to be obsolete mm -hmm. and uh, will also be put to death so great episode uh just talking about it it's very simple doesn't seem like it would be very interesting to watch but it's phenomenal uh, you definitely need to go check this one out and uh it's my favorite absolute favorite twilight zone episode uh the obsolete man from from season two written by rod serling and it means that uh, burgess meredith is in two of my top three episodes nice so well done sir all right, so give me your honorable mentions. Okay, so It's a Good Life was mm -hmm. one of my honorable mentions. The New Exhibit, that's the one where mm. the guy likes taking, he works in a wax museum and he likes taking care of the figurines of the oh. murderers, the great murderers down through uh, the century, serial killers. Yeah. Well, and he ends creepy. up becoming uh, <laughs> an exhibit himself. It's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Lonely, that's the guy who's stranded on uh, an asteroid. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a good one. He's given a robot. I've seen that one a bunch of times. A robot. 
Escape Clause. That's a guy who makes a pact with the devil. He's a hypochondriac and gets granted immortality. (laughs) Yep. Valley of the Shadow. I don't remember exactly uh, what the plot is, but it's a good one. I do remember that. Uh, Yeah, that one's on my honorable mentions. Uh, It's the only good hour-long episode, so I think that was season four where they started doing hour-long instead of 30 minutes. And that's the one where um, a man happens upon a town. I'm trying to remember what secret they have. They have some secret that they're trying to protect. Uh, Maybe immortality. Uh, The cure for all cancer or something like that. Something like that. And they are afraid that if if the secret gets out, then people will abuse abuse it. it, I think it might be immortality. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's some yeah. sort of like cure of of every disease or something, and so uh, he says, "No, no, the the people must, everybody must know about this." And so he, um, try basically um, tricks them and right, tricks them, and tries to steal it, and runs away with it. Yeah. Right, and then uh, it turns out they were it, that was a test, and they were letting him right uh, do all those things, and he realizes, oh yeah. Not even I. Not even I would make the right choice when, right. Uh, when it comes to something like this. So yeah, I think he then voluntarily. Uh, uh, nope, they just go ahead and erase his memory. Okay, they erase his memory. And he drives off into the sunset. Right. But the girl that he had wooed mm-hmm. to, you know, be able to get access to this secret, mm-hmm. uh, turns out she had actually fallen in love with him. Mm. So. <laughs> yep, it's a good one though. Any more? Uh, yes, the Jeopardy room. That's oh, yeah, that's one. on my honorable mention. This. Uh, a defector is, uh, he's being tracked. There's a sniper, but uh, right. the Trying guy Trying to escape to, the Soviet Union. Yeah, the guy wants yep. to, the assassin wants to kill him with finesse as an artist <laughs> instead of just sniping him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fear. Okay. That's one where uh, there's a woman and she's all alone at night, and uh, along comes up like a park ranger or something like that, and or a sheriff, and they hear strange sounds outside, and uh, there's uh, like strange things that are happening and stuff, and they're both terrified. And then in the end, it ends up there being just like this large inflatable that was put up by these little tiny aliens. Yeah, oh, I thought uh, that one was real cheesy. I liked it actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good one. Um. The Obsolete Man. Mm-hmm. And then the Rip Van Winkle caper. Yeah. Okay. That's one where these guys are, they've just done this big gold heist, and they're going to hide out in a cave and put themselves into stasis for 100 years, and then, you know, the police will, won't will be hot on their trail anymore, and they'll be able to live out their days in splendid glory and not have to worry about anybody coming looking for them. <laughs> but of course, uh, they end up turning on each other, and they eventually die uh, mm. before they can spend their money. And mm. it turns out gold is worthless in the future, 100 <laughs> years into the future anyway, because we found right. a way to manufacture it really cheaply. Right. Joke's on them. <laughs> and last but not least, a most unusual camera. And this is one where you take a picture, it's kind of a and funny it one. gives a little, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like a wormhole monocle. Indeed. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's a really fun one. I love that one. <laughs> uh, great actors. Uh, 
they're oh, that's pretty funny. really despicable, but they're so <laughs> they're so over the top. They're really fun. <laughs> so those are my honorable mentions. Okay. For me, it's A World of Difference, another Richard Matheson episode where uh, the man's living his life. He's talking to his wife, etc. And then all of a sudden someone yells, cut, and... I realize he's on the oh yeah, yeah on the stage of a of a television show, uh-huh. and he thought it was all real somehow. You're like, wait a second, is he going crazy or or what's going on here? And it's just really weird. Like, imagine if all of a sudden you uh, someone just yelled "cut" off stage, mm-hmm. and you realized <laughs> this that you yeah. thought was your life was was a uh, television show. Uh, the after hours. That's the one where the lady. Uh, Going around this creepy store at night oh, and yeah. realizes, oh, that was she's a, a mannequin. One. She's yeah. she's only able to go out once a month. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Uh, I, didn't really, I didn't really like the twist. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Eye of the Beholder, where the woman's getting face mm-hmm. surgery, is another yeah. classic famous one. The Howling Man. Oh, yeah. That was one of my top 40. Yeah, that's one where I saw the first 15 minutes growing up, and then I didn't know how it ended. So <laughs> that was hard. that's the one where uh, the man takes um, refuge in a monastery and he just he- hears yeah, uh, a man uh, howling from a cell somewhere in the monastery. And it's pretty creepy. Uh, let's see. The Jeopardy room. Like you said, living doll. That was on your list. Mirror image is one where it's a woman in a train station or a bus station. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. sees her doppelganger. Oh, that's a good one. I want to see that one again. I, I actually do, too. Yeah, that's one that could be in my top 10, but I've only seen it the once, and I don't remember it real clearly. So, uh, But very strong one. And then uh, Valley of the Shadow again. that you mentioned. Yep, yep. So those are my honorable mentions. Uh, let's see. I Let me do the IMDb top 10 real quick. Okay. So this is just people voting on the Internet Movie Database website. And uh, let's see, their number the number 10 is The Obsolete Man with an 8.8 out of 10. Then Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, 8.8. So uh, points for me for both of those. Uh, the Masks, 8.8. Which I, I didn't, didn't think, like that one. Yeah, I didn't think that one was that great. But apparently that people really remember that one. It's a Good Life, 8.9. Point for me. The People Agree. Whatever. Living Doll, 8.9. Finally. There you go. That's for you. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, 9.0. Nice. That's both of us. Time Enough at Last, 9.1. <laughs> That's me. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, 9.2. Shut up. There we go. To Serve Man, 9.2. Uh, so what did you think of that one when we saw it? Because that, that's maybe the most famous uh, Twilight Zone episode. That one and um, and some of those other ones that we talked about. It's a Good Life. Right. Time Enough at Last. It's it's good, mm-hmm. but I actually had a premonition just from To Serve Man <laughs> that it was going to have to do with eating right. somehow. And I guess, like, I don't know. I, I After watching a bunch of the, <laughs> the Twilight Zone episodes, I'm already thinking, okay, what's what's the what's twist going to be? Down? And that's, you know, already know, knowing the title, that made me start thinking maybe that's what it was. Right. Yeah, and I think that one is not quite as good once you know the twist, but it's still a good episode, just not top 10 or top 20. And then, uh, so it's that one, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, 9.2, To Serve Man, 9.2, and Eye of the Beholder, 9.2. So those are all 
tied for number one. That's the one with the woman getting facial surgery. Right, right. So, well, another another good. I just gotta be episode. me. I don't That's gotta right. follow the crowds. That's right. And then uh, Rod Serling had two favorite episodes, and it, they were The Invaders. So good job, you and mm-hmm. me. And Time Enough at Last. Those were his two favorite episodes. <laughs> so, and both both made it on two. One or both of our lists. So, all right, time for an, time for a little hate. Okay, what go are ahead. your least favorites? Uh, okay, I can go first. Uh, so, uh, my second least favorite is Four O'clock. Do you remember that one? No. It's the guy that is <laughs> um, just a really crazy guy, and he thinks everybody's evil, and he says at four o'clock. Every evil person will shrink to two feet tall. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was such a dumb one. And then he shrinks to two feet tall. Yeah. And, that, and then a bird eats him. I don't know. It's really weird. It doesn't make any sense. And um, I don't know uh, what who, the moral was supposed to be. Yeah, I don't, don't, be I don't know. Don't be hating? I don't just, know. Yeah, I don't know. So that one was not great, but it's not the worst. Okay, so Burgess Meredith, two of the, my top three. But he's also in the very worst episode of the series, Mr. Dingle the Strong. Hey, that's my least favorite. Which you did not even finish. It was so I bad. Hated it. And I only finished because I wanted to say I'd seen every episode. I'm not that bad of a completionist. It is terrible. It's it's not a good story. It's a man, an alien some aliens give a man super strength. But he's an idiot. But he's an idiot. The end. I mean, it's really badly acted. The alien is one of those. It uh, looks awful. Yeah, it's that kind of uh, Monty Python and the yeah. Holy Grail, where they—if you've seen that—where there's the three-headed person. <laughs> it's like that same kind not, of thing, but it's trying. right, right, right. It's that, and oh man, it's really bad. Just the whole thing. It's really boring too. There's nothing interesting that happens. So that is by far the. My least favorite. Did you have any others other than that one? Uh, the other one was Jess Bell. Yeah, uh, that was not where great. She's a witch, and she's <laughs> trying to get this guy to, to fall in love with her, and he's trying to escape her, and I don't know. She can turn herself into a leopard, and just yeah, is weird and boring, and yeah, kind of dark and yeah, that was pointless. not great. Yeah, agreed. That'd be in my bottom ten for sure. All right, well, I. I think I think that about wraps it up. I don't I don't know of anything else to, to add. Oh, I guess I could say uh, on IMDb the two lowest ranked are Cavender is coming and Sounds and Silences, both with five point nine mm. rating. Sounds and Silences. That's the one. The guy that doesn't he he likes loud things. Is that it? And then he gets really sensitive hearing all of a sudden. Yeah, something like that. And he like doesn't that. like loud. He doesn't like any. Any noise at all? I think he doesn't like loud sounds, and then because of that, he loses his ability to hear, and so then he's begging for somebody to make a sound, but he's unable to hear anything. Uh, he grew up in a home where his mother required silence, That's so right. he makes as much noise as he possibly can, and so then he starts hearing like a drip of water, and it sounds like an explosion. And, uh, yeah, not a great episode. I'll agree. That one should be pretty low. Do you remember Cavender's Coming? No. Let me look that one up real quick. So, Cavender's Coming. That's the one 
where there's a guardian angel, so sort of a It's a Wonderful Life kind of thing, where the uh, oh, yeah. bumbling no, guardian was, angel goes down. That was dumb, too. Yeah, uh, isn't it with, uh, yeah, Carol Burnett. This is the episode with Carol Burnett. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember this one being, being memorable at all. So, interesting. So, those are, those are the worst ones, apparently, according to the people. All right, well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode back into the past. And our next episode is going to be top 10 non-essential kitchen essentials. (laughs) So top 10 kitchen non-essentials. I will explain the title on our next episode. Mm. And I will. I will. You will uh, cheerfully and very respectfully support your wife on the air. (laughs) uh, Tune in to see if that happens. Anyway, we'd love to hear your feedback on this episode or any previous episodes or any ideas you want to give us for a future episode. You can email us tto at coser.us or go to our website and leave a comment there, tto.coser.us. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Melissa Coser. I'm Brian Coser. And you've been listening to 10 to 1. Portrait of a young couple. They've just ventured into a realm that few mortals ever encounter by accident, much less go into of their own free will. But on this night at least, they've made it back safely from the Twilight Zone.